Welcome to the Business Resilience Podcast, a series about how businesses respond to disruption and adversity. I'm your host, David Sutton, Advisory Partner at GHJ. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Business Resilience Podcast. I'm the guest host, Nisha Golcha, Corporate Tax Practice Leader at GHJ. Today, I'm joined by my amazing teammates, Paul and Joanne, Director at R&D Incentives Group, and Brett Crowell, M&A Tax Manager at GHJ. Our topic for today's episode is Section 174, R&D Capitalization, the current talk of the town, at least in the corporate tax world. Thank you both for joining me. With that, let me turn around to the panel here. So, Brett and Paul, what's all the buzz around these new rules, changes, and why is it important now? Thanks, Nisha. So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 made some significant changes to Section 174. Uh, The big change was that it now requires taxpayers for tax years beginning after December 31st of 2021 to capitalize and amortize certain research and experimentation expenditures rather than deduct those expenditures as they historically have. This includes both direct and indirect or incidental R&D expenditures. Uh, They now must be, as I mentioned, capitalized and amortized over a five-year period for U.S.-based expenditures or over a 15-year period for non-U.S. expenditures, both of those using the mid-year convention. I'd just like to add a comment that there's a tendency to conflate Section 174 expenditures with Section 41 R&D tax credits, uh, qualified research expenditures. Oftentimes, taxpayers are wrongly assuming that the problem will go away if they stop plowing for the research tax credits. Uh, Keep in mind that Section 174 is mandatory for all taxpayers, as long as they are doing any sort of research activities, while Section 41, the research tax credits, are elective and taxpayers can choose to claim or not claim the research credits. Thanks, Paul and Brett. Sounds like that it is important because it is mandatory starting 2022, has cash tax impact, and is relatively vague in the definition. So who do you think will be most impacted by these changes? Will some taxpayers now have to pay more than they did historically? Yeah, so I think the obvious answer is that taxpayers with significant R&D expenditures are likely to be the most impacted. Taxpayers that already report taxable income are now likely to have a higher taxable income due to having to capitalize those expenses rather than deduct them. Taxpayers that are in significant loss positions or with large historical NOLs They may still be fine, uh, but obviously they'll start burning through those accumulated losses a little bit more quickly. Taxpayers that are running at sort of a minimal loss or who have more minimal historical NOLs or NOLs that are nearly depleted may find themselves now with a current tax liability. It's important to highlight, right, that this is a real cash tax liability that's going to have to be paid now. Now is the word, I guess, uh, that keeps everyone excited about these rules. Uh, so even though it is a timing difference and you end up paying the same tax over like say six years using the mid-year convention, you can potentially pay 20 to 25% more uh, in year one, which is 2022. Uh, and then the taxes that you, uh, the returns that you'll file in 2023. So now that we know that it is mandatory, has cash tax impact now, um, Paul, Paul, do you want to share some of the uh, you know industry trends and how can clients do what can clients do to mitigate the impact of the changes? 
So if I, if I can jump in first, one of the things that I'd like to say is that businesses now should look more carefully at whether or not they should conduct Section 41 or R&D credit studies if they have significant applicable expenditures. There's a lot of overlap between 174 and Section 41 expenditures, uh, and the R&D credit studies will allow them to get a tax credit for those expenditures rather than having to capitalize everything. I know, Paul, we were having an interesting discussion before uh, about some of the elections that can be made with regard to Section 41 and how the interplay now between Section 41 expenses and Section 174 expenses may become increasingly important. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yes. So under the TCJA changes, what we are observing is that it's almost always more beneficial to elect the full or gross credits on the federal R&D tax credits. The new provisions made some minor changes to Section 280C, uh, which is the ability to take a reduced credit for taxpayers. Essentially, addback is not required if the gross credit amount is less than allowable deduction for such taxable year. For example, in that first year, it's 10% of the 174 R&E expenses. If the gross credit is higher than 10% of the 174 expenses, only the excess is needed to be added back to reduce the amount of the chargeable to capital account for the taxable year. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And some of the other things that clients should do or, or can consider to mitigate some of these changes is, you know, to carefully track the applicable expenditures during the year to make sure that it's, during some sort of year-end review, we're not capturing additional expenditures that maybe didn't need to be capitalized or don't qualify as Section 174. The other thing is for standard tax practice is to defer income and accelerate expenses. And obviously those tools can still be used to mitigate some of the impact of the 174 capitalization. Thanks, Brad. That brings a good segue to the next question. Is looks like we have others. If you have uh, R&D credits, that's a good starting point. But because the 174 definition is more broad, uh, there are some things that you see, you know, when it's broad and vague, but then what exactly is included under 174? I hear depreciation allowance can be included. There's some patent attorney fees. There are foreign expenses that now can be included. Uh, something that was excluded before, like 401 benefits and healthcare. Paul, would you like to share some industry trends as, you know, where do you see, com uh, you know, uh, with tax extensions and tax audits around the corner? How do you see some clients take the position, you know, for the short term to get past the hump of the tax provisions and, 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 and extensions and do a more due diligent, you know, uh, exercise at tax return time in October? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of interplay between uh, Section 41 and 174. As Nisha mentioned, the definition for 174 is much broader. So if you're a taxpayer that has claimed the Section 41 tax credits, that is actually a very good starting point in estimating your 174 costs. Oftentimes, we can add about 20 to 30 percent as a cushion uh, in estimating uh, your true Section 174 costs. Some of the key distinctions between 174 and 41 is that for Section 41, we only include taxable wages to the employees that are doing R&D activities. For 174, we are also including non-taxable employee benefits such as 401k or, or um, healthcare uh, premiums paid by the employer. Um, additionally, when we look at the contract research that's being claimed under 41, we can only include 65% of those costs. 
as uh, uh, qualified research expenditures. For 174, we have to include 100% of such costs. Another key distinction is the foreign research expenses. Previously for section 41 R&D studies, we never look at such activities because only domestic R&D was qualified for the tax credits. Now we have to look at if you have a parent subsidiary relationship where you're paying a, a foreign subsidiary for research, such cost now has to be includable under 174. So these are just some of the key distinctions where we're gonna see probably a 20 to 30% increase from 174 compared to 41. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Paul. Brett, uh, would you like to add something to that? Yeah, and so just reviewing some of the recommendations that we're giving to clients, Paul, is very much in line with what you've discussed for provision and extension purposes to the extent that clients have Section 41 studies, we're building in those 20 and 30% cushions depending on the client's appetite for risk. Our other recommendation to clients is to definitely extend your returns as much as possible. The hope is that we'll receive some more IRS guidance in the future. This has become a little bit of a moot point for many California taxpayers and some other taxpayers around the country who have gotten automatic extensions because of the various disaster relief that's become available. Important to note is that that disaster relief has moved not only filing deadlines, but has also moved payment deadlines. So some of these increased tax bills that we've been discussing may not actually become due until October of this year. So the takeaway is that extensions are critical now more than ever, especially for clients with cash tax impact, because there's a chance that the IRS can chime in as the current regs are, we believe it or not, a little aggressive on the taxpayers. And there's a hope that IRS may chime in, uh, you know, between extension and return time to maybe make it a little more realistic for a company, especially in, that does a lot of R&D stuff. And thanks, Brett, for pointing out that taxpayers that fall under the disaster relief can potentially delay the extension payments till October, and we'll have more guidance on them in the upcoming weeks uh, from the firm. But that I would also like to ask Paul on the industries. You know, we you talked about the you know radiations between forty one and one seventy four definition. But are there do you see more industries uh, being impacted by this uh, change the, relatively more than the others? Yes, definitely. So section 41 and uh, obviously 174, we always want to look at the nature of those activities that the, the taxpayer is working on. If it's developing a new product or a piece of software or a process, it's important to have this conversation with the engineering department, the folks that are doing those activities to determine what is the proper treatment. Uh, what we're seeing is that some industries will be probably more impacted than others. For example, if you're in a uh, if you're a business that has ongoing cynical release of seasonal product lines that has high sampling or prototyping spend, you may be highly impacted by the new regulations. Additionally, uh, if you're a taxpayer is involved in software development, if you're developing external or internal uh, internal use software systems, as these type of uh, taxpayers will be greatly impacted by these new changes. One thing that software companies need to consider is if they're outsourcing significant costs to offshore software development. Before, we didn't look at that cost, but now if you're spending a large amount of uh, research overseas, that could greatly impact what you may owe when you file your tax returns. Wow, it looks like a lot going on uh, in that sphere. Uh, 
So it looks like tax is always exciting and uh, we don't we all love taxes and it's always changing and keeping our profession exciting. So this was some fun facts that we shared about, uh, you know, what's the current hot topic uh, in the corporate tax world. Uh, Brett and Paul, would you like to uh, end with some closing remarks that you have that we did not cover so far? Yeah, so just some thoughts on, on mitigating risk. Our messaging is, as I mentioned before, extend all returns where this may be a material issue. We want to give ourselves enough time to fully evaluate the issue and see if there's some guidance that comes out in the future that can help us navigate some of these gray areas. Use generous estimate cushions to make sure that you're not off, caught off guard by a large liability down the road. What that means now, though, is that there may be a more immediate and higher tax bill but that can avoid some interest and penalties later on down the road, just to make sure that you're not significantly underpaid at this point. Keep detailed records contemporaneously. You know, we don't want to be reevaluating an entire year uh, without that contemporaneous knowledge. That's how we make a lot of mistakes. So make sure that you're keeping separate accounts for research and experimentation expenditures and that you're tracking U.S. versus non-U.S. expenditures separately. Great. Thank you, Paul and Brett, for joining us on the Business Resilience Podcast. To learn more about the current topic, please reach out to us uh, on LinkedIn or email. Would you guys like to share your contact information? I can be reached. My email address is bcrowell at ghjadvisors.com, or I can be reached via telephone at area code 310-873-1692. And my contact is... My email is pwin at rndincentivesgroup.com, or you can reach me directly on my office line at 213-519-5856. And you can reach to me for any corporate tax-related questions on R&D incentives on provisions at ngolcha at ghjadvisors.com. And my contact information is 310-873-6604. Cell phone is 216-375-1496. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Thank you.